those ideas of joy and hope and how we respond um, to those words and those themes that are found in Scripture. And some of the angst that we have coming from some of us from backgrounds where there was a, a fair degree of emphasis play, placed on being a continually, consistently optimistic and, and having a kind of demeanor that was always rejoicing. And how, for some of us, there's been a degree of kickback against that. And we've moved into a place, perhaps, of, of cynicism. And so Shane was calling us to a place, a, a third way, a middle ground, that, that uh, enables us to retain uh, joy and hope, expectation, um, without, uh, without us, without leaning into that place of unreality or moving to the other um, end of the spectrum, which is a, a, um, a world of a narrative of doom. Would that be a fair estimation of pretty good? Thank you. And, um, and calling us to a third way, finding some middle ground um, of how to live out uh, joy and optimism. This morning, I'm going to uh, tackle something uh, similar to that, and that is... Um, Finding the third way between defeatism and triumphalism. Um, reclaiming faith and victory. And I'm sure uh, some of us, we're having some heart palpitations already. So my scripture that I'm going to throw up uh, this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this would fit nicely with our um, kind of uh, our offering talk this morning. Um, and I want us to have a look at that, and I'm going to get your feedback and just want to see what sort of response, how you resonate with the Scripture and um, how it makes you feel. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. All right, so some of the themes that are contained within that uh, scripture there are obviously prosperity and uh, blessing, success, uh, victory, and uh, a sense of conquest. And there are also, I kind of see in that scripture, uh, a theme where there are winners and there are losers. Um, so how do you, give me some feedback, what are, what are some of the thoughts that emerge for you when you see a scripture like that, that really is calling us to a life of um, of faith and victory. Yes, Anna. Um, For me, the first thing that springs out is some legalism that I've experienced in church where they say, if you do this, then God will do this. So um, if you tithe, then this will happen. And it's almost magical thinking. So saying, you know, um, if you pay attention to the commands of your Lord, your God, then... What if you don't? What if you slip up? What happens then? So that's what kind of came up when I read that. Great, great observation. So transactional nature with God. If you do this, then God is going to respond in a certain way, reciprocate our our action. Was that a... Yes, I see that hand. 
that's right. Um, of course, the enthusiasts amongst us all go, yes, amen. That's very fantastic. So I'm on the same page there. But I'm a great believer in this notion of holding two things in tension. And, you know, we, we're we very comfortable with the notion of identifying with the poor and the needy and, um, you know, in that sense of how God humbled himself. But that in a sense, has no kind of sense unless the polar opposite is this kind of position. So I think for us to find, again, the third way, which I think is is really important, that there's, n- there's not one without the other, that they have to both be true in a sense and somehow held in tension and we find a way through between them. So you're not rejecting this as, a, as, a, an, as an option for our faith? It's a poll. A poll. Great, I like that thinking. Sorry, I don't know your name. Did you have your hand? Yeah. My name's Steve. The um, part of that passage that really leaps out at me is bless all the work of your hands. And what I take out of that passage is that if you're putting God first in your life, uh, he will bless all the work of your hands. Most of us all need to work um, and you've got a choice as to whether you take that on in drudgery or complaint or whatever but to have God blessing all the work of your hands I think is a wonderful promise so you see contained within that a a promise from God beautiful Jenny and Joel we'll wander over here yeah because I have to get in before Joel because he'll say something amazing and I won't be able to follow up No pressure. No, I'm joking. Um, No, I think it makes me reflect on what I think, what my definition of head and tail is and top and bottom is. Um, I think we tend to layer on, I think, quite um, measurable uh, definitions of success um, when we see those words. Um, Obviously, money is a very easy way to do that, but then you think about, well, actually... Jesus was the head and, you know, I mean, we just spent a bit of reflection around his crucifixion and what that meant for him to actually be the head and take responsibility and take us on um, as part of almost his position, I guess. So, um, yeah, kind of makes me think about that. And we'll conclude with Joel, thanks. Um, It's absolutely one of those things I really struggle with because I don't see the reality of that happening in the world. I see dedicated Jesus followers living out lives that they are in oppression, under slavery, they are starving, they're whatever, they're definitely not the top. Even if we say, well, they have, like they, they live differently to us and, that's, and, and, and they have this inner joy and stuff, they're still starving and dying, even though, do you know what I mean? So I really struggle. Was that profound enough for you? <laughs> And um, I think I would echo um, Joel's sentiments there. That's um, a point. This scripture, which uh, has, uh, as part of my church culture, my church background, this and scriptures similar to that have sent set very central to my my construct of faith. Have over a period of time where I've been rethinking and reworking through my faith. These kinds of scriptures have sat very, very uncomfortably, um, uncomfortably with me, and yet um, hearing Shane's message um, and 
realizing that there, there has to be some balance. We have to find some middle ground between these polar extremes that are between the polar extreme of a defeatist or a doom-type approach to faith and um, um, a triumphalistic, um, overly optimistic approach to faith. So I was uh, driving our, our van uh, during the week and uh, the stereo system within uh, that van is not all that good and it's hard to kind of uh, find a, 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 a channel that kind, of, that kind of doesn't have a whole lot of static. Um, so I'm kind of doing some channel surfing and it comes to a particular uh, station and uh, it turns out to be Light FM, which is not a station. Uh, for those who don't know, Light FM is a Christian radio station. Uh, Light, Light FM is not a station that I could say that I uh, regularly or ever listen to. Um, but one of the members of our congregation is on the staff there, and, and uh, I think they do a I think they do a great job. And um, one of the songs that I began to listen to on Light FM was a song that was kind of reflecting these kinds of thoughts, this sort of uh, this sort of sentiment. And I began to find myself reacting really negatively. Um, and critically to the words that were in the song about blessing and about success and those kinds of themes that are contained uh, in Deuteronomy 28. And I had to stop myself and I was challenged as I'm driving along thinking, hey Steve, what about a particular song that I had written that reflected some very similar themes to what were contained in the song that I was listening to. A song that I'm going to play for you, I wrote back in 1985. And um, it gives you a bit of an insight into, into uh, what um, my theological position was at that point in time as a, as a fairly or relatively um, new Christian. So this song uh, is, is affectionately known as the Wee Wee Song. And um, can you flick up uh, the words there, Al? And I've got the, I've got the controls. And um, I'm going to play this for you. And uh, just remember, please go easy on me because uh, as, a, as an artist, you know, you're kind of putting yourself out there. So this was a big hit back in the mid-1980s within, within uh, certain sectors of the Christian church. Thanks. Nice and loud.
There is an air guitar break in this song. Play till the end because there's a kind of this. That's my son on sound there. So uh, uh, just remember, the next generation are going to mock you as well. Your hair, your hairstyle, your music, and your and your theology. I can say I must admit there was many hours spent in front of the uh, mirror playing air guitar while I was remembering. Uh, this. Actually, it's really interesting. I can remember where and when I wrote this song. Um, I was part of a, I was a youth, uh, youth leader of a, uh, in a fairly large church that would take our young, t- young kids on uh, outreach, outreaches into uh, western New South Wales. And I wrote this song, Bethany, you'll be so proud. This is a product of Dubbo. <laughs> In the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the manse or the church, uh, building uh, next, to the, um, next to the Baptist church at Dubbo there. And I was with a small group of, uh, of friends and we were praying. And as we were praying, um, I began to sing spontaneously. Um, we would call it a prophetic song. And I began to sing, we, we are victorious. We, we are more than conquerors. And no weapon formed against us shall prevail. And then a little later on, I got my guitar out, did the riff and added the, the chorus part. Um, it's from Isaiah 54 verse 7, which says, No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. It seems as though um, this is really, really true. Um, the culture in which I came from, um, every second prophecy was from the book of Isaiah. And um, this morning I got a, a, a text from uh, an old friend of mine who um, happens to uh, work for an organisation called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, which some of you might be familiar with. So let me go to my messages. And he sent me a um, A prophecy this morning from Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And um, so I came from that church culture where this sense of victory and success and overcoming fear and defeat were kind of part of... um, Part of, part of my world. 
And if we were to critique um, this um, song, which was from an album, let me say, called Songs of Worship and War, um, I'd ask you the question, what would stop you or what would stop us, other than the actual, probably the music, what would stop us from singing this song today? What, what is it that would make us apprehensive about singing those words? What is, what is it about that song that would make us nervous? That we would have a a copyright on God's favor. Yeah, we ourselves and not none else, Muslims, atheists. But yeah, and there's an arrogance in that. So a sense a sense of arrogance or exclusivity, perhaps. Yeah. Um, for me, it would be the hurt suffered at the hands of those we sing those songs with or those who are in leadership at the times we were singing those songs. Can you? Uh, um, well, for me, uh, can I share personally? Well, I guess the, the culture, the things that those leaders said about my life and what, you know, that certain behaviours and mindsets for me were sinful and it's taken me a long time to recognise that they weren't actually sin. So they were they were telling me that I wasn't right at the same time as we were singing those songs. So they remind me of all those times when they told me I was in sin and wasn't right and that, was, that wasn't the truth. So the association with your past. Yeah, uh, to me it's, um, it's just pretty aggressive. It's like some of the wor- words are... Um, sort of inciting war almost. <laughs> There's certainly a sense of militancy about that, isn't there? Anybody else? Um, some of the lyrics were actually straight scripture, but I think that that's the danger is that the choosing specific verses and actually not seeing them all in relation to other scripture that rounds out a really full theology of how God operates in the world. So it's an appropriation of scripture at, at a polarised, that polarised space. And as Beth has pointed out, actually I think um, pretty well all the way through that song, um, if you were to critique it, you'll find that it's actually based on scripture. Um, but it is triumphalistic. Um, the reasons why we wouldn't um, perhaps sing that song today is one, it, it does have a sense of uh, militancy or aggression or an incitement to a, a kind of a warfare mentality. Uh, perhaps we um, are, have experienced disappointment and hurt and there is very, we can't sing this song with any sense of personal conviction because we don't actually feel or experience uh, victory in our lives. Um, there is a sense in which, um, given that it's a fairly lyrically a short song, um, there isn't a, a theological um, breadth to it, which would make us perhaps apprehensive. Um, 
perhaps we're not convinced that this is actually biblically true, even though it's actually is um, anchored around around Scripture. And as I've said, that um, right throughout this uh, this song, um, there are clear biblical biblical themes, which I should have on a piece of paper here. So the idea of um, the idea of being a conqueror and victorious is from uh, Romans chapter eight. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him um, who loved us. The idea of of overcoming. Uh, the evil one or overcoming the devil is from Ephesians 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty, mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that's, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And um, 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing to you, dear children um, or young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Uh, the idea of being born again or having new birth is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from, from the dead. And the idea of um, sonship, which um, the, uh, the term sons of God is a very gender narrow, obviously, um, term. But in terms of sonship and identity, that's again from Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's, uh, God's children. And yet, um, while I'm a little bit conflicted over this song, the reality is um, what appealed to me about my Christianity in those early formative years was that um, as a new Christian, I really wrestled um, with uh, inferiority, with low self-esteem. And these kinds of songs um, actually affirmed or helped affirm and shape, shape my identity and gave me courage and confidence in the face of really wrestling with, with significant issues of, um, of timidity. And so we used to sing songs like, Born Again, Born to Win, I'm a Child of the Most High God. And we would tend to listen to those words today, and we would, in, well certainly within our church culture as we currently stand, would tend to discard that kind of stuff, being born again, born to win, I'm a child of the Most High God. And yet, as a new fledgling Christian trying to um, shape my identity and and discover who I was, songs like that become incredibly formative and and incredibly helpful in in helping break the defeatist mentality with which I was raised for about 18 years prior to my conversion. And now I find myself in a place where Somehow we have to regain and start to re-sing songs and have confidence from the pulpit to communicate that we are called to be a people of faith and victory. And somehow we have to find a third way, a middle ground between a, a, a narrative of doom and despair and of cynicism 
and the other extreme, which is this, um, a, a sense, heightened sense of uh, like a hyper-reality and a triumphalism, we have to somehow find an expression of faith that incorporates the truth, the wonderful truths of Scripture that have helped shape my life and helped my faith and the lives and faith of, of others throughout, um, throughout Christendom. I think that in our discouragement and um, disappointment of our lived experience, and so we haven't felt like we're more than conquerors. And that certainly hasn't been our lived experience for, for some of us. And because of the excess and the extremes of certain streams within, within Christendom, we've discarded a life of faith and victory and substituted with, with a one of, of, of doubt and defeatism. And I think as a community that it's time for us to be brave enough to find some courage to seek out a third way between those two polar extremes. And perhaps it's time for us to learn to rewrite these kinds of songs that re-engage us with some wonderful biblical truths that we begin to re-preach again um, messages that inspire faith and confidence in who God is and what God might do without a sense of foreboding as to how people might react and respond when we do sing or when we do speak about these um, subjects. And I think we need to do so um, by tempering the truths of these kinds of scriptures with a spirit of um, of humility, I can't remember who it was, but there is a certain arrogance, isn't there, that's contained within those lyrics that seems to be devoid of some, of some sense, of some spirit of, of humility. During the 1980s, when songs like this and sermons like this were the norm, it's really important to rem- remember the context in which they emerged. Back in the 1980s, there was a corporate culture which was centred around um, amalgamations and um, corporate takeovers and um, there was power dressing, so you'd wear the navy blue suit, the white shirt and the red tie and you would move into a handshake in a dominant position, so there was always this fight to see whose hand was going to kind of go over the top of the others. But that was what life was like back in the 80s. And politically, the political backdrop of the time was, uh, and certainly within the early 80s, was this tension between East and West, the threat of, um, of communism. And so there was a whole lot of language politically and bravado around, um, what was it? Is it shirt fronting? Is that the term that's being recently used, um, to kind of go, who's the bigger, who's the better, who's, who's the stronger? And that corporate political culture that was the norm, I believe, was um, embraced and seeped into the church, and it shaped the cultural norm of the church. 
And so there was this vying for power and this striving um, for superiority, which was reflected in the church's sermons and the church's songs and, and, and in the church's stances. Our world has changed. I think our world, in some respects, um, has become a little bit more res- respectful and acknowledging that there are others. Uh, certainly, Christianity and the church no longer sits front and centre of, um, of, of Australian society or American or British society. We have been essentially sidelined. And that has brought, I think, with it uh, an element of, of humility. And so my, my, my question to us is, and I don't have an answer for this, is we have to learn to find a language and ways of recapturing the right spirit of Scripture that encourages us to hold on to a life of faith and victory, hope and joy. I'm not sure how we do that. But I suspect if we don't do it, um, we remain in a deconstructionist um, mode of, of doom and despair, then we actually don't really have a significant future. We need to be able to make that shift, to find language, to create a culture and to find ways in which our identity as sons and daughters of God is affirmed. Find language and ways and and cultural expressions that remind us that we are in a battle I um, wrote a, um, a prayer, which I'm going to um, flick up if you could. Oh, okay, got there. And um, I'm going to pray this. And those who would like to join me are welcome to do that. There's, um, I think there's about three slides. I'll give you a minute to read it through. And if you feel comfortable praying this prayer with me, then um, we'll pray it together. you'd like to pray. Lord, help us find a new language and ways of expressing faith and victory that don't deny pain. And in the face of your apparent inaction, help us not to default to despair, but to remain expectant and trusting in your goodness, even when circumstances and our experience suggests otherwise. Lord, 
Help us to find a new language and ways of expressing faith and victory that acknowledges that there are forces at work in our world opposing your kingdom of justice, beauty, and wholeness. Help us to believe that ultimately good triumphs over evil and that there are, in the here and now, tokens of your shalom breaking in as signs of a future world in which all will be as you intended it to be. Lord, grant us the maturity to believe that in response to our prayers and participation, your kingdom is coming and your will is being done. Lord, help us to find a new language and ways of expressing faith and victory that give us a framework for shaping our identity as the beloved of God. Help us to overcome our sense of inferiority and live assuredly without being arrogant or superior. May our lives and and this community be characterized by the humility found in Christ, who respects and values all. Lord, restore to us a voice and life of faith and victory. If I were to um, rewrite that song, uh, We Are Victorious, uh, lyrically and musically, um, it might sound something a little like this, which um, is a song by a band that I've really started to uh, enjoy called um, The Rand Collective, and this is a song called uh, We Are Conquerors. Surrender, no retreat. 
Jay, do you want to come and um, finish the benediction? Let's all stand. And um, I trust as a community we have the maturity to uh, find that third way and uh, that middle ground. Thanks, Jay. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your words, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and to serve you and all the people in the power of your spirit and the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.